0: Welcome to PLN Rewind. Tune in to catch up on the Progressive Law Network's past events and discussions about the many ways in which to engage with legal challenges to bring about positive social change in our community.
1: I'll first begin by giving an introduction to our two speakers. Um, first of all, we have Auntie Geraldine Atkinson. Auntie Geraldine is co-chair of the First Peoples Assembly for Victoria and the member for the North East region. She's a Bangarang and Wiradjuri elder and has dedicated her career to furthering Koori education and increasing opportunities for Aboriginal people throughout Victoria. She has been president of the Victorian Aboriginal Education Association since 1999, as well as deputy chairperson of the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Islander Children Care. Auntie Geraldine is also a council member of the Victorian Aboriginal Heritage Council and is a board director of the Aboriginal Community Services Association. She was part of the Aboriginal Treaty Working Group, uh, which which was integral to the development of Australia's first piece of treaty legislation and was particularly involved in the second reading of the Treaty Bill in the Victorian Parliament in March 2018. Uh, She was elected to the First People's Assembly in December 2019, which is the elected voice for Aboriginal people in treaty discussions with the Victorian Government that will center self-determination of Koori communities in all of its processes. Our second speaker tonight will be Auntie Professor Eleanor Burke, uh, who is a Wurgay and Wamba Wamba elder and chair of the Europe Justice Commission. She's had a prolific and distinguished career in human rights and academia, and has made important contributions to Aboriginal affairs and education. Her career has led her to many different tertiary institutions across Australia, USA and Canada, including Harvard University and Monash University, where she was Professor of Aboriginal and Islander Studies and Director of Aboriginal Programs at Monash University until 2001. She and her husband also have a Monash University scholarship named in their honour, the Colin and Eleanor Burke Indigenous Postgraduate Scholarship that supports the ongoing education of Indigenous students undertaking a postgraduate coursework degree. Professor Burke was also chairperson for the Victorian Aboriginal Heritage Council from 2006 to 2018. And in 2010, she was uh, inducted into the Victorian women's honor roll as a respected person and warrior of education. Uh, She heads the five person Europe justice commission named for the Wemba Wemba word for truth which was established in May 2021. The Commission will conduct inquiries into historic and ongoing injustices against Victorian Aboriginal peoples. So let's turn now to Gerald Geraldine, who's going to present on the work of the Assembly um, and give us some ideas uh, to get going on its processes and objectives. Thank you, Auntie.
2: Thank you, Tristan. Before I begin, I too uh, wish to acknowledge the country where, where all of us are zooming in from today. I wish to pay my respects to all their elders of those countries and all elders throughout Victoria whose generations of struggle and sacrifice have brought us to the point where we are today. I most certainly want to acknowledge Auntie Eleanor Burke, and it is Eleanor that I know you as, is Eleanor. And I'm so pleased that we're presenting together tonight. Thank you very much for having me here to present uh, to the Progressive Law Network and Treaty, about treaty. And thank you, Tristan, for the invitation. As you said before, my name's Geraldine Atkinson and I am a proud Bangarang and Wiradjuri Aboriginal woman. I am co-chair of First Peoples Assembly of Victoria, and you mentioned uh, that I do have a background of working in education for my community. My professional life before working towards a treaty place in Victoria was driving educational reforms in Aboriginal education and Victoria, as well as nationally. My earth ancestors come from the north northeast part of Victoria, or which is now Victoria, which I am now situated, and my people are called the people of the tall trees. Okay, so. Tonight, I'm here to speak about the treaty process and the role of First Peoples Assembly Victoria. I also look forward to answering some of your questions later on. The treaty is about addressing past injustices, but it's also much more than that. Treaty, our chance to address the power imbalances that have helped many in our community back, and to prop- probably level the playing field. It's about creating a better future together one in which our culture, which is the oldest continuous culture on earth, can be better recognized, celebrated. And I guess this is the part that gives me a lot of joy, is that it's shared. We certainly want it shared. Treaty isn't, isn't just the destination, it's, it's about a journey. It's a journey that we could work on, walk on together. And I'm hoping that all of you here tonight uh, will walk with us. The First Peoples Assembly of Victoria is a representative political organization, we represent Aboriginal people on the journey of treaties. The Assembly is made up of 31 members, all chosen from their communities. It is a democratic model and every person sitting on the the Assembly is a traditional owner of country in Victoria. So the model for the Assembly reflects the world that we as Aboriginal people and communities living today. It's strong, it's practical, and most importantly, it does not leave anyone behind. The 31 members of the assembly were chosen through an historic vote. The advancing treaty process, with Aboriginal and Victorians Act was passed in 2018, and that enshrines the role of the assembly. I must, I must say that um, Auntie Eleanor was a pivotal part of that process as well. In September and October, 2019 the Upshaw and Torres Strait Islander Peoples aged 16 and over turned out to vote for who they wanted to represent them in this phase of the treaty process. And now this process was led by the previous uh, Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, of of which Aunt Eleanor was a a chair. The role of the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission was to establish an Aboriginal representative body that we now have and that we now know as the Assembly. Those elections were conducted across five regions to make sure that the results were not dominated by a larger Aboriginal uh, metropolitan population. So the assembly members represent community views and engage with our local communities on treaty issues and treaty aspirations throughout Victoria and in particular regional. It's t- totally independent from any government elections. Our electoral is exactly that it's ours. It's made by Aboriginal people for Aboriginal people. United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples is a key tool for us. The constant use and interaction with and reference to UNDRIP makes it a living document that we collectively will uphold and we will expect others to respect and uphold it also. The assembly can be easily understood as articles three and four of the UNDRIP put into practice. The assembly is articles three and four its indigenous peoples have the right to self-determination and by virtue of that right, they freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social and cultural development. And indigenous people in exercising their right to self-determination have the right to autonomy or self-government in matters relating to their internal and local affairs, as well as ways and means for financing their autonomous functions. That is the assembly in self-determination in action. So I've talked about how the assembly was established through that landmark vote. And here for you to see is visually the assembly's five regions. And next slide, please, thank you. um, Where we we have assembly members in each of those geographic regions. Okay, now I'm going to talk to you about our priorities, about our objectives. And we've been working really hard at the assembly to lay the groundwork for treaties. The assembly is currently progressing three major streams of work. So the first is a statewide treaty and that's about solidifying political power through that process. The second is about nation building and local rights through that's localized traditional owner treaties. And the third is about economic self-determination. There is a fourth listed here, but I, I'm not gonna talk about it just yet because it's the New Justice Commission. And that's also a very, an, very important part of our community, but you'll hear from uh, Eleanor on that in a little while. But each of these streams requires a constant process of engaging with Aboriginal and tradition, traditional owner communities uh, to refine thinking and positions. So nothing is off the table at, table at this stage it's still, treaty is still a, very much a blank ca- canvas and we're constantly discussing with community to get a clear sense of their priorities, their needs and their desires. Treaty negotiations them, so, themselves are still a few years off. Say so the assembly in its current term is not negotiating treaties. Now I wanted to make that clear. We are not negotiating treaties, but we are responsible for laying the foundations for the treaty process and listening to what our community's priorities, aspirations, and ensuring that we get their feedback. We could we, with communities guidance, uh, we have agreed to pursue a statewide a, tri- a statewide treaty for statewide matters and traditional land for local matters. And I want to talk to you about these in more detail to explain what this could look like. So the statewide, the statewide treaty. Uh, what we envisage is working with government so that actual community, communities could seek to establish a statewide representative body, a future form of the assembly, perhaps, we don't know, it's up to the community to decide, which, which will exercise self-determination in a range of ways, but also with the force of the law. This future body could make decisions, including passing and administering laws on the issues that impact, impact our people's lives, provided by some input in the Victorian Parliament and the Victorian public sect- sector. We could hold reserve seats in the Victorian Parliament. A statewide treaty would cover the whole state. We have more work to do to engage with communities about what, what this would look like. But we know that this is the umbrella agreement that would cement Aboriginal self-governance for Aboriginal peoples and our communities. Now traditional owner treaties, on the other hand, traditional owner treaties will provide opportunities for traditional owners to exercise self-determination in ways that they want. And these could cover uh, rights areas such as land, waters, language, uh, local education, cultural heritage and management, localised assets and wealth. Each traditional owner group needs flexibility to pursue their own priorities. One size is not going to fit all in our communities is what we do know. So each traditional owner group needs to be able to consider and move through the treaty process at their own pace. Okay, so I wanna talk to you about the importance of the truth telling um, about the links between treaty and truth. Since the establishment of the First Peoples Assembly, we've heard time and again from our community members that we can't have treaty without truth. We've listened hard to communities' wishes around the state, so as part of our negotiation with the state we secured a landmark truth and justice process. This truth telling process will clearly link together the abuses of colonisation, systemic racism and discrimination, intergenerational trauma and our contemporary experiences. So it's time for the true history of this country to be told. There have been formalised processes and the commission. In the past, we've had, uh, and you've, you've probably heard, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, about the National Inquiry into the Separation of Aboriginal strait Islander Children from Their Families, which is Bringing Them Home report, and about the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Abuse, as well as others. But those, reco- but recommendations from all of those past inquiries haven't have been implemented. Recommendations from a truth process can be included in treaties and this becomes the evidence base for our treaties. This can also be how we hold successive governments to account. The true history of what happened in this place is hard to bear for many of our people, but it's time for what is only known by few to be known by many, in particular you guys are on this on this Zoom tonight. Um, I just want to talk a bit about the assembly's achievements to date. Um, You know, we haven't been around for a long time. It's only been, I think, a little over two years or going on to two years, but we've already shown our ability to get the job done for community. So despite what we had in the first instance, the bushfires in early early 2020, the distinct challenges of COVID-19 and remote working on our operations, we've been able to make remarkable progress during our first year and a half. We've successfully used Facebook and social media for a platform for engaging with our community, including live streaming the assembly chamber meetings and panel discussions on our main streams of work. We had our first formal negotiation meeting with the state government. That was held on the 3rd of August, 2020. And we now have, I'd like to to advise you that we have regular negotiating meetings with government. So we are a powerful collective voice. In 2020, we agreed on the dispute resolution process with the state. In our very first chamber meeting, we also called on government to provide a stolen generations redress scheme. Government heard and heeded that call. It's very important for thousands of people personally and irreversibly impacted by stolen generations policies which I'm sure that if you haven't heard of, that you should at least go back and look at. On January the 26th, campaign reached over 54,000 people on social media. Importantly, we have also secured the Justice Commission, a process of truth and justice now funded by the government, which Eleanor is going to talk to you about uh, and let you know uh, shortly, the actions that, uh, that that they'll take. So we see that these actions like the first formation, the very formation of first Peoples assembly are bold acts of self-determination. The assembly is working hard to lay the groundwork for treaties, that's our mandate. We must work in partnership with state government or Victoria to do this. But we can't do it, the assembly, we can't do it alone. What we do is we have to call on people living in Victoria in the here and now people who are not Indigenous, people from Victoria of whom Victoria has been their home since birth, people from Victoria uh, for whom Victoria is a new home and Indigenous peoples from other nations who now live in this country we now call Victoria. I wanna let you know that treaty isn't about guilt and it isn't about division. It's about creating a path together to leaving a better and fairer place for those who come after us. So I feel that every Victorian has a responsibility to be involved in this process. There have been many broken promises by governments, politicians and corporations over the years, and we're not interested in any more broken promises. What we need now are systems that honor collective decision-making and the unique and indelible position of traditional owner rights holders. And treaty will not happen unless people make it happen both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. For any Aboriginal community members that are listening into this talk, I want to encourage you to enroll in the First Peoples Assembly of Victorian selections. With every single voice and every vote, we get stronger. Enrolling in the First Peoples role is easy and the role is not linked to government in any way. Go to our website, firstpeoplesvic.org, and click on the red enroll button to be involved and make sure that you stay up to date with the treaty process. For, for everyone else of you who are not Aboriginal, we we need you to back this represent body of First Nations peoples in this state. We want you to sign up to receive our new letters, newsletters and follow our work online, on social media, whichever form that is, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Etc. We want you to please stay informed and share. We will need your support more and more into the future as we make treaty to become a reality and self-government as it should be a fact of life. So thank you very much for listening to me. And as I said, I think later is it after Eleanor's talk that we'll be able to answer any questions that you have. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Auntie Geraldine. Um, That was a fantastic presentation and such a great way to get us started for this evening's session. Um, Auntie Eleanor, uh, are we able to go to you now and um, hear about the Europe Justice Commission?
0: Thank you. Thank you, Tristan. I'd like to um, tell you that I am speaking from Wadawurrung country. Whose land I reside, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present, and I acknowledge the traditional owners uh, of the lands upon many of you may be uh, present today. And I especially want to acknowledge uh, Geraldine's ancestors and her family for the contribution that they have made and uh, the generosity. They have um, contributed to uh, the endeavor that's known as Aboriginal Affairs in Victoria. It's been lifetimes of work uh, for many family members uh, in our families. So we, we, uh, in acknowledging ancestors, we're also acknowledging the strength and resilience of our people because we are here to speak to you about the potential for treaty and the and the uh, happening of the truth and justice commission you probably know that yorok is australia's first truth telling body and we uh, we know that the eyes of the other states and territories are upon us In June last year, the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria called on the Victorian Government to establish a truth and justice process. And in May of this year, YURUK was formally established as a Royal Commission. YURUK Justice Commission is an independent body from government and from the Assembly. We are required to deliver an interim report by June 2022 next year, just months away, really. And to put uh, Rook into some context, um, you may be aware about truth-telling around the world, uh, but truth-telling is a process that uh, where public and open sharing of truths after periods of conflict uh, occur to reset relationships that um, intended to be based on human uh, on the uh, justice and uh, accord um, be in line with uh, human rights requirements. The best known example of truth telling, I guess, was the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, More recently, truth-telling processes have been used to understand the impact of colonisation on First Nations people. And as an example, you may have heard of the Canadian Truth and Reconciliation Inquiry that examined the Indian residential schools. Um, We know there is a lot of interest in Yurok and its work uh, because of our connections with our Canadian um, friends. And and, um, I can't remember, Geraldine, if you went uh, on the fact-finding trip or not, but uh, there's been a good relationship there for some time with the Canadians. Yes, we did, Eleanor, it was wonderful. Yes, so so similar experiences uh, we're sharing. And different different kinds of inquiries, of course, very different. The Yaruq Justice Commission was formed after um, commissioners were selected from a panel from a uh, from 64 people who applied for the five positions as um, commissioner after the first people's assembly. Requested expressions of interest from this group. Five candidates were appointed, and I'd just um, like to tell you their names: Commissioner Wayne Atkinson, a Yorta, Yorta Jaja Warung man; Sue Ann Hunter, Warungri nure Ilam Warung woman; Maggie Walter, Palawa uh, from Tasmania; and um, former Justice Kevin Bell. Who is not Aboriginal and brings a legal experience inside the commission? And of course, I'm the chair and I'm a Wudagaya Wamba woman, uh, and my family's uh, from the northwest of Victoria. The commissioners were selected following uh, recommendations from a four person assessment panel comprising of individuals nominated by the First Peoples Assembly and the Victorian Government and the International Centre for Transitional Justice. A very open and transparent uh, process. The background to the work of uh, Uruk is provided in the letters patent, which provide detailed terms of reference, objectives, conduct of uh, how we should go about our uh, inquiry. They acknowledge past and ongoing injustices arising from colonisation and the impact on traditional owners and first peoples, including intergenerational trauma. The letters patent also acknowledge victorious responsibilities under various local, national and international human rights laws and standards including the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. The background also acknowledges the importance of truth in resetting relationships and moving forward in negotiating treaties between First Peoples and the Victorian government. Yuruk is required to establish an official record of the impact of colonisation on First Peoples in Victoria, Underpinned by First Nations voices, and to develop a shared understanding among all Victorians of the diversity, strength, resilience of First Peoples' cultures. This process will enable an understanding of the strength, resilience, and the struggle that we as First Nations people have had as part of our generations. And despite the struggle, we have managed to maintain traditional knowledge and some uh, able to uh, continue some practices. The commission has also been asked to make recommendations about redress for historical injustices, as well as how to address ongoing issues through law and policy reform through education, including changes to the Victorian curriculum. The Commission is also asked to make recommendations about matters that could be included in future treaties with the government. We expect to see evidence and information that is relevant and helpful for treaty making. Yuruk's work is framed by the international human rights standards as set out in the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. It sets out how governments and indigenous peoples should work together to achieve these rights. Yuruk's work provides a form basis for progress towards achieving the rights under, uh, under the declaration through recognizing and acknowledging the past and ongoing impacts on First Peoples. It provides an outlines the way opportunity can be a, to reset uh, relationships based on truth and also the opportunity for recommendations about changes to realise first people's rights. The letters patent require looking into f- past injustices experienced by tr- traditional owners and first peoples. We're particularly concerned about looking at ongoing systemic injustice about First Peoples. We need a change if things are to change. This is key in being able to expose the link between historical trauma, the intergenerational impact of that and how that still plays out, for example, in the form of discrimination and disadvantage. Uruk has the flexibility to run the inquiry in the most culturally appropriate way and um, considered way that we hope is appropriate and welcoming. This may include listening to stories or accepting information through artwork, poems, writing, songs, dance. We wish to make a space for people coming forward to the Commission to feel very safe and comfortable. We are also required to ensure that our processes do not re-traumatise people and we are very conscious of the responsibility that we have for people's social and emotional well-being. We will take steps to, um, to create that comfortable, welcoming space. Gathering of information uh, already available will assist uh, research reports, books, um, as many sources of material. the the, um, the recommendation about establishing a public record in itself is a huge, huge task. We will be requiring we asking government and other agencies and institutions to provide relevant information uh, pertinent to our terms of reference. And as a royal commission, our power—we have powers to require the government and its agencies to give evidence where necessary. Uruk's letters patent require us to ensure that all information received is treated respectfully in the way First Peoples wish it to be treated, and to be adequately protected. This requires the development of protocols about how information will be handled, and we'll be doing this in consultation with data sovereignty uh, experts and personnel who mostly are Indigenous. Commissioner Walter, whom I mentioned earlier, has a strong background in data sovereignty and will lead this work. Finally, agreeing on cultural foundations has been a very, important first job for the Commission, Uh, we had to think about ways that reflect Victorian Aboriginal cultural values, we um, noted the um, Thierry Uruk report which is very valuable in uh, setting uh, some framework for us to think about our values and protocols and we thank The First Peoples Assembly. For that, our letters patent require us to take account of this report in in interpreting our mandate, Um, and we have taken considerable time working on, uh, working together to develop the values and cultural protocols that will guide the way we are working. Uh, We've also had to agree on a vision, goals, and priorities, uh, areas of focus. Uh, up until the interim report. Uh, And of course, like the First Peoples Assembly, we've been caught by COVID and uh, working under some difficulty, uh, which um, makes us feel very nervous when we think about the interim report and June 30 next year. However, First Peoples are at the center of uh, the work that we are um, proposing to do in the immediate future. And we have looked at uh, ways of prioritizing um, the work we will do as the next steps to achieve what um, is needed by 30 June. And that is by focusing on four priority areas until then and we will be asking community for feedback on these priorities. The four priority areas are laying strong foundations for trust and cultural legitimacy. This includes introducing our values and approach, the protection of data sovereignty and establishing culturally appropriate support systems to people, honoring First Peoples elders, Uh, because we want to preserve the knowledge they hold. We see our elders as vulnerable and we would like to create um, conversations with them as soon as is is practicable. The third priority is about laying foundations for a comprehensive comprehensive picture of systemic injustice against, against First Peoples. In order to create a public record supported by the evidence, we will map existing knowledge, including First Peoples or community-led sources of knowledge, and develop a human right, rights-based framework. And uh, we will uh, that work will reflect um, the uh, United Nations declarations uh, principles. And finally, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we wish to promote a holistic, a coherent and holistic reform agenda. Uh, we understand there is an urgency in, in one way, and uh, and historic continuities of trauma uh, are still experienced by many of our people within legal and state structures and policies. So we need to. Prioritize identifying reform processes in order to be able to understand the um, the extent of the reform that is needed, and this could look at uh, a, a range of a range of things, um, including progress on the implementation, not lack of implementation. And Geraldine's alluded to this uh, of royal commission into. Aboriginal deaths in custody recommendations and other other such reports as bringing them home and and uh, and uh, you know there is a list that we we're very aware of. The process around responding to our four priority areas is open until the end of October. Um, I'm not sure if um, those um, priorities have yet gone up on the. Um, on social media, but they are due to go up very soon uh, because of the fact of uh, the urgency of our timetable in relation to the interim report. In closing, I I would like to um, thank the um, Progressive Law Network and also I would just like to uh, say Something that was that resonated with me today from a previous um, workshop that the Europe Justice Commission believes it's time to share first people's truth because it's foundational to the transformative change that is required for our people. Thank you very much for the invitation.
1: Thank you, Auntie Eleanor. Um, that was another very comprehensive presentation, um, and it's it's brilliant to hear about the work that the commission is embarking on. Um, it really is um, quite quite a, a fundamental and systemic necessity, as we've known for a long time. But it's incredible to hear that that is now getting underway. Um, We'll now have the opportunity um, for everyone to ask some questions in relation to um, what Auntie Geraldine and Auntie Eleanor have have said. Um, perhaps I'll I'll put a question forward first for both aunties. Um, before this event started, I I was speaking with Auntie Geraldine about how the assembly's been running during uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, and so I'd, I'd like to. Put the question forward to both aunties, um, obviously the, the role of community connection and consultation are crucial to, to, both, um, to what both bodies are doing. Um, and so I wonder if you could speak a bit about um, how the lockdown period and the COVID pandemic in general has affected um, that element of both bodies' work.
2: I'll get off mute first. Do you want me to go first, Eleanor? Yes, you go first. Okay. Go. Well, but, but Tristan, it has been uh, incredibly hard. I'm going to say difficult, but it's been a hard work to do. But we've made sure that what we were able to do, we, we were progressing the work that we wanted. We had, you know, there were timelines, and we know we have, a, you know, sort of final timelines to meet. But that didn't deter us. What we did was we started using particularly with our comms, our fantastic comms team, and our engagement project offices about getting out to community. We did live streaming events. We talked about, you know, sort of, as we progressed each element of work, we'd have live stream events on those elements, making sure that they're getting out to community. And I'm sure the comms, our comms people can let you know exactly how many people that we did reach. But it was that we had and all of the things that we've been involved in, and I'd mentioned uh, through my talk, that what we were able to do. So we had um, those live streaming events. We had, um, you know, on our Facebook, our, our communications pages, uh, getting out I've only just started on Twitter, but our other co-chair, his uh, old hand edit, and he'd been informing community through Twitter about what was happening with with, uh, with our, the progressing the work that we've been able to do. I said, we're all, we probably all do have uh, lockdown fatigue, but what we've understood, what we've needed to do, because I said earlier, we needed to get, continue with the work that, uh, that we've been charged with doing. And that's about progressing the treaty process. And as I said, we have timelines and we have, we've had strict timelines and we've had to work with government We've had to do that over Zoom. Uh, we've had to work with, you know, uh, out with our community. We've had to have our, our full ch- 31 member chamber meetings uh, via Zoom. Uh, we've had to have our committee meetings via Zoom. And we've had, you know, sort of we've really had really good attendance that people have been able to pick all of that up and get and 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 I guess run with it and for us to be able to get the job done. But as I said, it was not easy. It was hard, but I, we really endeavoured to ensure that what we had to do was get the information that we were working on for progressing treaty out to our communities. So via fact sheets, you know, all of those others
1: as well. Uh, Auntie Eleanor, do you have anything to add to Auntie Geraldine's response to that?
0: Yes, I certainly do. <laughs> we uh, the. Uh, The commissioners were appointed mid-May and uh, we've only spent two weeks in Melbourne. We acquired temporary accommodation, which we had to let go because we're not going to go back there. So (laughs) in essence, we're homeless at the moment, but one of the major jobs, of course, is to get our uh, permanent uh, accommodation, which we envisage may be able to be occupied after. Christmas Uh, and in fact on our very first trip to Melbourne to be announced as commissioners we were given an address to go and look at accommodation with and we didn't quite understand until that moment that we had to establish the commission from the ground up ourselves as five commissioners we had uh, some uh, staff loaned to us uh, and um, uh, we started from there, so it, it's been tough, as, as Geraldine mentioned. It's 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 very hard, uh, very hard because you've got to adapt a different way to do things. And uh, as you all know now, it's it's not uh, that you can do multiple things because you come together as a group uh, to talk uh, to the same people. But uh, for us, there are a couple of things that were really uh, helpful and important. Obviously, with three traditional owners and uh, as commissioners in Victoria, from Victoria, we are aware of who we needed to talk to. Uh, So that was really important, and it was easy to talk about. We will speak to all traditional owners. We'll speak to all peak bodies. We'll speak to uh, all of the people who are key in uh, in um, our lives in, in Victoria, so that's sort of known in a loose way and we're, we've embarked on that. We've just almost completed speaking to traditional owners, uh, just one group to go. We continue to speak to other groups. Some groups of course invite us to um, speak to them uh, and we take up those invitations because it's an opportunity to to spread more information. And of course, the other uh, other uh, factor was with First Peoples Assembly doing their work around truth-telling and preparing a report called Thierry Uruk uh, and being able to not hand it to, we thought we would have a big celebration, a launch of the commission and there'd be a handover of this report um, in June. Well, that didn't happen, so that happened online and... And um, it was just unfortunate, again, that uh, it slowed us down. But the report in terms of being uh, part of building our framework is also very helpful um, to us. So so those things have uh, helped uh, us uh, move along. Of course, we will be, our timetable is going to be um, uh, difficult and uh, I'm, uh, Advised that most royal commissions do not finish on time, so I'm not going to angst about it. But I do make it, you know, we're very honest about the situation we're in because everybody else understands. I think these days, after almost two years in in difficult circumstances.
1: Thank you, Auntie Eleanor. Um, we've got a. Question now from Jeremy. Jeremy, would you like to unmute yourself and uh, let us know what your question is? Yeah, Brent. Thank you um, so much. It's been such a pleasure um, listening to you all. Um, I've got a quick question on, um, I guess, how you hope um, that the like report will be received, um, both by the public and the government. Um, do you think reports and royal commissions are the best way to like deliver this information? And do you think that the Euro Commission can distinguish itself from other reports like the Bringing Them Home report where, you know, very clear solutions given to the government weren't followed?
0: Well, that's a very good question and you obviously know part of the answer. We're also aware of um, the fact that many commissions of inquiry um, are not acted upon. We're very, very conscious of that. And there there are some things that we are thinking about uh, that can be part of a kind of a legacy. Um, And one of those things will be the creation of the sovereignty data information system, because it hasn't been done before. Uh, Now, that's going to be hard, but we we want to do that because that's what people are telling us uh, should happen. Uh, the other uh, aspect is probably educational. These are the easy things to say at the moment. There's no good me saying it, uh, too much because I want to hear the voices of my people first uh, and how they underpin uh, issues that they have, you know, from their families' experiences across the generations. But uh, ed- education is another area where we can uh, have an impact and leave something... And of course, the, uh, the other uh, thing is, of course, uh, there will be the potential for use of information in treaty making. And hopefully, that will provide, uh, as I said earlier, evidence or more information that strengthens the ability to make tr- meaningful treaties uh, that um, will enable us to make recommendations that are meaningful in the treaty space, we're hoping. But as I say, I I want to hear the Aboriginal voices. I really do, because uh, this has never happened before. This is, you know, after 200 years, um, it's it's long overdue. And, uh, you know, we take our hats off to First Peoples Assembly for getting that in, slipping that in uh, and getting it done last year, because it's such an important thing Uh, in treaty making, and also for the rest of Victoria, because some uh, people in Victoria don't have a a great awareness of uh, our experiences. Uh, They say, well, you know, move on, you know, move on and, you know, live in this. Well, we don't move on because we carry with us information and knowledge that has been passed down from um, our ancestors. And we have knowledge about places that are important. And we have stories that we think other Victorians would value and of course have a place in in uh, the education. So, so we're hoping that those things will have uh, some traction. And, and it's, as I say, it's a bit hard to say before we've even been out physically to people, but Thank you for a good question.
1: Auntie Geraldine do you, do you have anything to uh, add?
0: Uh, well I think I think um,
2: that Eleanor really did uh, answer that question really it was really informative I hope Jeremy but I did want I, did, I do want to say that what just reiterate that what we what, what we've said and this one I told you earlier we're not we're not negotiating treaties but we'll working on a process that's going to get us to treaty and what we said from the very beginning is we can't have treaty without truth and that's why we envisage what's going to happen with um Eleanor and you know those esteemed members the commissioners what they will find because it will be will be it will have the status of of the royal commissioner it will have you know access to so much information the past that we haven't heard about. There are things that we don't know about. We all, I also know, and I've been talking to even, um, you know, sort of there are, uh, you know, sort of people that own farms and the farmers and have have, have, had for generations been on those land holdings about the stories that they have and how they have interacted with, you know, sort of Aboriginal tribes and what happened in those early days of settling Victoria. So there is those stories as well that, you know, could be your grandparents. Who knows? Great-grandparents may have, you know, sort of something to share. That That's important as well. But it's really important that we do hear from our Aboriginal community and we hear, you know, sort of about those stories. And we know, and Eleanor said it, that we don't want to re-traumatise people. We know that people have gone through trauma. And I know that they're going to put, you know, processes in place so that won't, but, you know, sort of that'll assist with that. That we need these stories to be told, Jeremy. And I think I think we're in the right age for that to happen. I think people like you, young people like that are on here, are ready to listen to those stories. That this generation will.
1: Thanks, both aunties, for answering that. Um, brilliant answers and very informative. I've got another. Um, Question that has been submitted anonymously, and that is: What would treaty and self-determination ideally look like in Australia? How would that practically work alongside existing government structures? Uh, which Aunty would like to go first on that? I
0: don't particularly oh. <laughs> want to, no, to answer. I, I will.
2: I will. <laughs> I, I mentioned um, to. Um, earlier in in my talk that I gave, that what we're doing is we're we're going to work towards ensuring that we do have true self-determination. And with treaty and and working on that progress is is what we want to do is is get true self-determination. I talked about how we would then work towards uh, that at this stage, looking at it as treat you know sort of treaty one so we're looking at you know, the next phase after work you know sort of that our term has ended that there'll be another phase of the assembly whether and I talked about whether that would be it could be and we talked about it being perhaps you know an Aboriginal parliament an Aboriginal voice to the parliament that it will have you know that it'll have enforceable laws it'll have you know access to how Funding is is given to Aboriginal organisations uh, that we don't have to go like we do cap in hand begging. That you know we'll have those powers that will it'll be it'll empower the Aboriginal community. This process that we we eventually hope to end up with with treaty. That that's what will give us and that's what will give us true self determination about deciding how we run Aboriginal affairs in this state by Aboriginal people.
0: I'm glad you came back to self-determination, um, Geraldine, because that's one of the difficult things. People don't always understand what it means. Sometimes we think we've got it, and then you suddenly discover, no, no, we don't have it at all. So I think that's something else that ha- is has to be shared across the population. People come to understand what we mean. By self determination, that is being responsible for the things that impact on our lives and the decision making around that. But we don't have that. We don't have that at this point in time. So uh, it's about understanding uh, the things that we talk about and what they really mean, because uh, each person's experience can be different. And for treaty making, the reason I hesitate, it's not. Um, as we've said, I think, already about hearing the voices, hearing other people's voices. Of course, we've got opinions. We've we've been running these debates for some time, but we need everybody to be able to understand why, what it is, and not be frightened. Embrace um, the fact that uh, if uh, people understand more about First Peoples' Lives and culture, and the places that they live from that perspective, they too will have a richer uh, cultural life.
1: Thank you, Auntie Eleanor. Um, Auntie Geraldine, you mentioned um, the, the possibility that has been discussed over the last couple of years uh, since the Uluru Statement from the Heart of a First People's Voice to the Federal Parliament. Um, and I want to ask, uh, although it's clear just how groundbreaking what is happening in Victoria um, is, um, what can be learnt, or is there anything that can be learnt so far from um, the work of these two bodies in relation to establishing that voice to Parliament at the federal level?
2: I think I think there's a great deal to be learned, and we have uh, Tristan. We have been in conversations with with other states, in the Northern Territory, that, that how they're working with on, you know, working towards a treaty process. In Queensland as well as where they've, they're heading with their, they're having the debate about truth telling at the moment. But they've certainly been involved in uh, working, uh, establishing a commission for treaty so that that work has been done. And what we've been able to do is we've been able to have conversations with them. Uh, First Peoples Assembly uh, Marcus Stewart is the other co-chair and myself, so we've been able to sit down and have those discussions. What we've said, we've also been talking to, um, on talking to, the, you know, sort of at the federal level, we, we, we've addressed, you know, sort of parliamentarians at the at the federal level, different different uh, from different, uh, different parties, and talked about what we are doing in Victoria and how it may then influence something that could happen nationally. But we, we can't influence what happens nationally. Uh, well, well we, can, we can advise and say this, we, we believe what should happen. But what we have to do is we have to concentrate really on the work that we're doing here in Victoria. And we would love for every state to follow. And we would love for uh, a federal government to agree to a national treaty as well. But we can't sit back and we can't sit on our hands and wait What we decided is we needed to work towards that treaty process here in Victoria.
1: Auntie Eleanor, do do you have anything that you want to say on that topic?
0: No, except to say that all the debate about um, whether or not to have a voice at the federal level has taken all these years. Can you just imagine how how long it would take to, to do a treaty. So we, we get on with it here in Victoria. And uh, as I said earlier, everybody's watching and hoping that we, we don't muck it up, we do it well. And that's what we intend to do to honour our people and our ancestors.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Auntie Eleanor. Does anyone have a question that they would like to ask at this stage? Yes, Ben, please go ahead.
3: Thank you, Tristan. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to both Auntie Geraldine and Auntie Alan insight. So far, it's been really great to learn a lot more about all the great work you guys are doing. Um, yeah, my question was just about um, I guess both the um, areas that you're working in are looking for a statewide sort of um, framework of course, Auntie Geraldine, you were saying that you're working on um, traditional owner treaty frameworks as well. Um, but I was just wondering if you've encountered any um, resistance from um, any First Peoples communities to that sort of broader, more um, generalized structure. Um, perhaps if, if that's, um, I, I don't know if there's any um, conflicts and of interest or things that different communities want. Um, that framework to look like and how you sort of overcome those differences of um, opinion or interest if they have arisen uh,
2: thank you thank you for that question we, what what we've been able to do is been able to uh, we have we have a, a very representative uh, cohort of traditional owners on our first people's assembly now our members go out and talk to their they could, you know, like the constituents or their traditional, their traditional owners are in their regions. And that's what they do. So the information that they have, those and information that they have, they then bring back to the table. So if there's any, if there are and people, and, and people, you know, sort of a bit, uh, a bit wary of what, where it goes or what it may mean, but it's about making sure we give the right information that what we're doing is we are constantly communicating with everyone and that includes all of those traditional owners you know sort of from you know the throughout the breadth of victoria so making sure i said earlier it's it's about not leaving anyone behind it's about people who, if they want to be able to be a part of this process they have every opportunity and every right to be able to to uh, take that up as well so it's, it's you know it's It's up to them, it's it's choice, it's 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 always about choice with people, but we're making sure that what we do uh, design in this framework is going to be what those communities, what those traditional owners are telling us is what they want in it.
3: Okay. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And I guess, yeah, Auntie Eleanor, if you had any thoughts as well, it'd be great to hear too. Well,
0: we're we're kind of lucky that First Peoples Assembly, you know, as our elected body, was has been there for um, almost two years. But we do have a um, very specific terms of reference. The letters patent is a seven-page document laying out how we should do things. And how we should communicate and conduct ourselves. And, and we're following through on that because I think most people understand information and communication is so important. And it's even more important now because of the limitations we have, and, and, and we're trying to meet those challenges. But um, that is really one of the most important things. But the second thing is for us as a commission to create. Culturally safe, embracing spaces where people feel comfort comfortable coming to speak with us about anything they wish to speak to. Um, in in relation to uh, and and if we go out, if we can get out, please if we can get out and see um, our elders and brothers and sisters around the state in person. You know, likewise, we're responsible for. Um, engaging with local uh, groups about again the same kinds of thing appropriate spaces and safe uh, a safe place to be comfortable to talk to the commission because uh, you know we will have hearings this is a formal process this is about underpinning um, data that's we know is there but again that that's also a big task you know uh, having all the the research covered we're very aware of, of those uh, that responsibility. And some days it feels overwhelming, but other days it feels really exciting because it has to be done. It's the right time and uh, we must do it in order to have the uh, treaty making progress. But more importantly, it's important for us to look at that connection From what colonisation did at the beginning with dislocation, dispossession, cultural theft, you know, whole suppression of things uh, and the impact on families, because it's not many generations. It's really not many generations. Um, You know, in my family, you know, I go back to my uh, great grandfathers and they were born. One was born before Victoria became a state and the other one was born just after. You know, that's, that's nothing in a lifetime. So, so much, and so much was done to them that I didn't know about as a young person I've discovered as an adult because the records are there. Um, so these, these things are so important for all of our people, uh, but they're important for the rest of Victorians to understand. This is who we are, and this is the place that you've come to and changed it forever uh, for us, and we've got to get on with um, living together in a beautiful state, which we now call Victoria. Maybe it'll be called something else sometime. (laughs) Thank you for the question.
2: uh, I just wanted to to add, Benjamin, you talked about hesitancy, and I just want to say that we, we... in actual fact that had hesitancy about people enrolling, about enrolling uh, to to vote for First Peoples Assembly. And why that hesitancy was there, they thought that it was a part of the Australian electoral system. And, and I mentioned that it was an electoral role that, you know, sort of that was designed by, uh, by Eleanor's group, the, the, the uh, Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission. That they did, you know, specifically for Aboriginal communities, say that that wouldn't happen. So one of the things is really that what we have to do is we have to ensure that what we do is we we work really hard to allay those fears about it being that, and that, that they can they can freely enrol to vote uh, for our next elections without any of that, any you know sort of having those fears about it being part of the age. Aboriginal electoral commission or a part of government having their information. So, and it's, you know, when you think about it, and if you, and that's what I wanted to say to you guys, if you have if you have Aboriginal friends, if you have Aboriginal colleagues, if you know uh, Aboriginal people, that you, I would would ask you, and if they're Aboriginal people that are on this Zoom tonight, about making sure we get as many people enrolled uh, for our next our uh, our next process in this journey towards treaty because the more people we have enrolled it gives us more political power and that's what we need so
0: okay thanks Geraldine that that really reminds me of a couple of other things too it's about trust too isn't it you know we've had a lack of trust of some government processes we've had a failure of uh, some uh, parts of government to deliver or to um, to deal with some of the, our issues in a way that's that could be different. So it is about trust, and uh, you know why would every would people trust uh, again what looks like a government process? So we've a- always got that there, and we do the best that we can by being. As open and, as I said, information communication, it's it's just such such an important thing. Uh, because we want, even if people don't agree with uh, the concept of the commission, they still have a right to tell us how they feel about that and why. I think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. so so we're not necessarily talking about, you know, wanting to hear, just what we think, you know, what people might think is appropriate. But we want everybody that has something to say to be able to do that. And so far we already have indications from people that they have something to say and some of those things are horrific and hurtful and traumatising, but they still want to do it because they want the record, they want it on the record and that is, um, I think, a compelling thing because we've never had the opportunity before in this way.
1: Thank you so much, Auntie Eleanor and Auntie Geraldine, um, for those responses. Eva's got a question now. Eva, would you like to ask your question?
4: I would. Thanks, Tristan. And thank you so much, Eleanor and Geraldine, for your insights tonight. It's been, yeah such a privilege to listen to you both speak about the work you're doing. Mine's not a very like intellectual question. and I think you kind of partially answered it just then, Geraldine, but um, as a non-Indigenous person and a student, I was just wondering if either of you could speak about things that I guess non-Indigenous people can do to assist in kind of helping treaty and what are the, I guess, some practical ways aside from, um, yeah, I guess like social media and things like that. I mean, you just mentioned speaking with, um, Aboriginal friends which I think is a great one but yeah if there was anything else you could think of um, that yeah students could kind of help.
2: Well you can there there you know sort of there is a great deal that you do and it's about not just speaking to your your fellow students it's about speaking to your families it's about making sure that you know when uh, when you know sort of those and I always use like this if it's if you're at a barbecue and there are people that you know sort of and that you want to do so you call out those things and and we also say that about racism you know if you hear people talking about about being racist and whatever what you do is you call those things out well what you can do is talk about what's happening within Victoria you can talk about what is happening with the treaty process and talk in particular about um, you know the 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 Europe Justice Commission and the work that they're going to be doing. So it's about getting as much, as many, as much information as, as you can to people you know either. And uh, someone once told me, I don't know whether this is ever true, but they once told me that if you can influence one, you know, one person, that one person can influence another 80 people. <laughs> so that that's what we're saying. That's what needs to happen. We need to be able to use, you know. As I said before, we can't do it by ourselves, and it's, it's not just about getting, and I'm t- I talked about in getting Aboriginal people to enrol, but I t- also wanted to say that, you know, get as much information as you can. Know what's happening within this space and, what and the work that we're doing and what it is that we want, because what we want is we want a better Victoria, you, you know, we want a Victoria where children will grow up not being racist where we want a children that'll grow up being inclusive of everyone. And in particular, you know, having respect for First Nations peoples, culture and history is what we want. They're the things that we want. So we, you know, we need, we're only, and I don't know what percentage we are, Ellen, you might be able to correct me in this, but I know nationally, we're only 3% of the people, you know, the population. So just imagine, uh, what the other 97% could do. So just imagine if that's what's you in Victoria, that what you can do, and that's what needs to happen. You know, go on our website, get the information, so that'll arm you to be able to go out and talk to your friends, your colleagues, your families.
0: It's a okay. really, really important point, Geraldine, because we are such a minority on our own. We cannot persuade governments Totally. But we have an example of what happened in the past and you'll all be too young to know about the 1967 referendum. But Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, um, you know, extended family members, people got together to lobby for that to be a successful refer- referendum. And it's still on the books as the most successful referendum with the highest yes vote. And that happened in the, um, that work started in the 50s and beyond beyond that, you know, in the 30s probably, you know, it depends how, you know, you want to trace different people back. Uh, uh, But they worked with non-Aboriginal people to get support for that. And that was an amazing thing to behold. Now, um, we've lived through different times. And I would say, for example, in the 70s, when I... uh, I came to Melbourne in the 60s, but in the 70s I was out and about, and people would say, Why do you call yourself Aboriginal? You know, move on, you know, be something else, you know. Do you tell me to be, be another nationality for God's sake? Now, those times have gone, you know. We've we've reclaimed that space. And the fact that the referendum happened, which was only to include Aboriginal people in the census and to give the Commonwealth the authority to make laws for Aboriginal people in Australia. I mean, you know, the mind boggles that that was the exclusion in 1901. But so we've had waves of um, difficulty, difficult periods in our relationship with non-Aboriginal people, but we are mindful all the time. We need your support. We need your awareness. We need need you to understand uh, our place Uh, in in this space, because we love our country, we love the trees, the water, all of the things that mean uh, things to us in our stories are so important. So we need you on board. We need that awareness uh, for all of our coming generations.
4: Thank you both. It's definitely motivation for me getting this goddamn law degree. So um, <laughs> <Very> good. I'm <laughs> um, um, definitely, yeah, glad to know there's ways and that's wonderful. I'll be spruiking out every family event when we get there. <laughs>
0: uh, wonderful.
1: Thanks, Eva. Uh, and thank you both, Aunties, for your answers to that. Um, I have another question that I would like to put to you both. Um, as we've heard from you, this is fundamentally about, one, uh, making... Making an investment in future generations of Aboriginal people, uh, not only for the present, um, and it's also about, uh, especially in the case of the Europe Justice Commission, creating a historical record of things that have gone before. So I wonder um, whether you could speak to um, how this this investment and how this historical record might be um, applied in our education system, so that you know, the public history that we have going forward with um, future generations of Australian children, um, th- that they are well informed of the findings of the truth-telling and treaty processes, um, and that this can have a, a really substantial effect um, for, all, for all Australians going forward. Do, do you it's,
0: want me? Uh, Geraldine. Well, you, uh,
2: yeah, you go.
0: You, now you go, Eleanor. You go. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a question that we are grap- <clears throat> grappling with. You know, how, how, how to, as I said earlier, how to leave a legacy. And I alluded to education because it's potentially an easy one, but we are thinking about that because, again, we've been looking at what other royal commissions and commissions of inquiry at this high level have never left something that sort of um, part of them. And that's why some of the recommendations or most of the recommendations aren't, uh, aren't implemented. And so that's, that's a real worry. And of course, governments come and go, they change color. So they're the, they're the challenges and we are seriously at the commission thinking about that question. So I can't really answer it now. Tristan, except to say that we are thinking about how that is possible. And I did allude to it earlier, you know, with data sovereignty, practice, uh, and uh, and as I said, education. But we've got the First Peoples Assembly and who knows what will come after that and what will happen with treaties that there's all sorts of, I mean, they're going to be part of it, we hope.
2: We just I just wanted to say one thing, Tristan, and it's, I I guess it's in relation to, um, I I guess you would have seen uh, the federal minister of education and his, you know, sort of what he said in relation to the curriculum and that, uh, that was, that was uh, in Mm. particular about ACARA. But what we wanted to do and what we've been working here in Victoria is about ensuring that, you know, that we, and, and we're really blessed, that you know Victoria has a Victoria follows the Victorian schools system follows the Victorian curriculum, not the Australian curriculum. So that can we can still, we can still work and we've been working, Eleanor and I have been working over, and I said earlier, you know, sort of over about 40 years, wanting these things to change, wanting to ensure that within the education system, that all children, not just Aboriginal children, but all children, are learning about uh, First Peoples histories and cultures, and and we really believe that as part of that, this truth, the the Yiruk Justice Commission. I really believe that as part of their legacy, it will be that will enable that to happen. I really, I'll, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not. It's not pie in the sky, but it's something that I I really have faith in it, that occurring.
0: Thank
1: you, Geraldine. Thank you, Auntie Geraldine, and thank you, Auntie Eleanor. Um, we're, we've run out of time. So I'm going to um, ask one last question that's been submitted by uh, Jessica. And I think it it is a it'll be a nice note to end on. Um, and she'd like to know um, what both aunties are most proud of in their work, both in treaty and in truth telling.
0: That's hard for me. I I never thought that this would occur in my lifetime, I have to say. And it is a life-changing moment in Victoria, I think. I've been retired, really, for the last 20 years from permanent employment, but I was still working in land justice and... Mm. uh, some reconciliation and other areas and i used to some days on a bad day wonder why i was doing it and i'd think it must must be for a reason (laughs) well uh, you know i feel like these opportunities know the establishment of the first people's assembly an elected body a formally recognized elected body representing our people across the state and this Um, Royal Commission uh, moments that, you know, I would never have dreamed of. And so I feel privileged uh, to be able to participate. So there's a degree, I can't say it's pride because it's too early to talk about pride because we've got so much to do, but it is um, overwhelming and it will be life-changing, I hope, for all of us.
2: And I guess that, that's, that you know, that the same goes with what I've been doing. I've, you know, when we first started the work, when, we first, when I was first elected into the position and I, we went into the office the first day and, and I was there about a week and it was, it was overwhelming. I thought, you know, the task ahead of us, how on earth are we going to do this? It just, it just did seem overwhelming. But we were able to get things done. And it it just amazed me, and that's that's one of the things that I'm proud of. That we didn't, you know, sort of it, it could have easily have just, you know, we've thrown up our hands and said it's too hard or whatever. But you just keep going, and one of the things about that is being able to just keep going, just doing, plodding along, doing what you have to do, making sure that we're, you know, sort of writing off each element as we go, getting community together, you know, sort of all of those sort of things. So it's it's about realising that, you know, you have to get in and do the work, and that's what I'm proud of, I guess, is about getting in and doing the work, and I've always had that work ethic from my, from my family. So that's one of the things that I'm proud of that, I, that enabled me to continue. I am just so proud, so pleased. Well, we talk about pride, but I am proud, Eleanor. I am so proud that we were able to get the Uruk Justice Commission Thanks. up. That was uh, that is uh, was really one of you know sort of the the most fantastic moments uh, when we when we we had those negotiations with with the minister for Aboriginal Affairs and she told us that um, the whole of cabinet approved it and that was one of the proudest you know sort of moments of my life so that was really great so that was you know lobbying negotiating and being able to make sure that that. That we did get it.
1: So,
0: yeah, so so important. (laughs) Just imagine not having it there and going on. I know, I know, so important. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, thank you so much. Um, Yes, thank you, Auntie Geraldine Atkinson and Auntie Professor Eleanor Burke. It has been a true privilege and an honour to hear you both speak this evening. We'll be following very closely the work of the assembly and the commission. Um, and just once again, thank you so much for being able to speak to us. We, we greatly appreciate it. And I've certainly learnt a lot and I'm, I'm sure everyone else has. Um, before we go, um, we'd like to get a photo of all the participants here tonight. Um, so if everyone who's willing would be able to put on their camera, um, we're going to get a snap. Um, Ginger, do you want to do that, or do I do that? You've got it. Oh, I've man. got it. You've got it. All right.
4: Thank all you. All right, everyone. This has been such a fantastic talk. It has been incredible to hear all of your law students and the fantastic questions that you've had for both Auntie Eleanor and Auntie Geraldine. So, from a staff perspective we've been stoked talking behind the scenes. So everyone look happy and excited for the future.
0: (laughs) Yes, well, I I should say Tristan, uh, uh, speaking to groups like yours is also makes, um, makes us feel good because we know that there's an interest from all walks of life as we meet up with different groups. And that's really important and encouraging and good for
2: our future in Victoria. Yes, it is, it gives us, so as I said earlier, it gives me faith that we have, you know, that we have, you know, students that are willing to want to listen and to want to learn about uh, what we're doing in our Aboriginal Affairs space. So thank you very
1: much. Thank you both. Thank you. A final note is that we have raised over $300 to go towards paying the rent for this event. So thank you everyone for your donation. Um, and yes, and I'm incredibly grateful for you all showing up this evening and um, being so engaged. So on that thank note, you. we'll leave you there. Thank, thank you, you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you all. Bye. Bye, Bye, bye Geraldine. See you when I see you. Bye,
2: Eleanor. All... Yes. I will. See,
0: Geraldine. see you, guys thanks Nick thank you thanks, thanks very much see Nick you Ginger, Ginger. Yeah. see you all see you later bye thank you so much bye, bye.